Welcome back to the Badge and Beyond, Inside the World of LVMPD. I'm your host, Joe Bartels. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into the lives and experiences of the men and women of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department who keep our community safe. Today, we have a special guest from our homicide section, Terry Miller, our cold case investigator, who has been with the department for more than two decades. There is a case, a cold case, that still haunts her. It's the heartbreaking murder of teenager Shauna Maynard, whose body was discovered on the outskirts of Las Vegas in 1998. As we approached Miller about this case, the air seemed to grow colder and the tension in the room thickened. Miller has been working on this case, leaving no stone unturned, and yet the case is still unsolved. Join us as we dive into the depths of this unsolved mystery and discover the pieces that may bring this cold case to justice. Terry Miller, thanks so much for joining us. Um, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the LVMPD homicide section. What are some of the great things that are going on right now within that unit and some new things that are happening? Um, Metro's homicide section just recently in uh, 2022, our sheriff authorized resources for a fifth homicide squad. And that squad specifically dedicated to working the cold case homicides that we have, which means cold case is an open murder. And with that, he authorized a sergeant, three full-time detectives, and then he came up with the idea of we would bring back retired homicide detectives to help work these cases because of their experience. Metro's invested a lot of money in us over our years and in, with this department, and they felt that it would be very beneficial um, to utilize that experience that has left the department. Yeah, Terry, the sheriff has been really excited about the incredible accomplishments that Metro Homicide has been able to do over the last several years. I think one of the highest solve rates for any large city a size of like Las Vegas. So really remarkable work that uh, LVMP Homicide has been able to do and even cold cases and solving them even recently. Yes, we've... Uh We've got a very dedicated squad. We have four regular squads that roll on um, active homicides, and then we have this fifth squad. And our department's been very supportive in um, helping try to solve our active cases as well as these cold cases. And, uh, Terry, you're here today to discuss this really interesting, and it's gotten some attention over the years, but this this case that's been pending. I know it's been lingering. It's something that you obviously want to solve, you know, very badly. Um, can you share a few details about this, this cold case from 1998? This case involves a 17 year old, uh, runaway from, uh, Norco Corona, California area. And, um, it's, it's very sad in the fact that she was only 17 years old and she was murdered here in Las Vegas in April of 1998. And so some of the details, uh, her, her remains were found, her body was found kind of in, in what at the time was a really desolate part of Las Vegas. We think of Las Vegas, the famous strip and the area surrounding it, but where this person was found, can you be, maybe describe some of the details about where she was found and some of the, the circumstances around that? So she was found out on Blue Diamond Road, which is southwest of the the strip area everybody knows the strip and um 
at that time in 1998, you're right, it was desolate. Uh, very sporadic homes and businesses scattered throughout, throughout Blue Diamond. And usually it was commuter traffic coming in from Pahrump. Uh, Pahrump is a small town southwest of the Vegas area. Uh, at that time, I believe it had about population of 24,000 people. Yeah. And they would travel into the Las Vegas area to work. Um, and then on top of it, like I said, you had some homes out there. It wasn't well lit, and um, it was a pretty isolated area. And so it was It was in the early morning hours. It was It was the two gentlemen that had uh, come across her body, her remains. What was the details of, of how she was discovered and where? So on April 21st of 1998, our uh, Metro call taker received a 911 call from two males who stated that they had been driving on Blue Diamond eastbound towards Las Vegas when they had seen what they thought was a, a body laying on, alongside the road. So they flipped a U-turn, came back, and um, found out that there was indeed a female, a young female, who was laying about 10 feet off Blue Diamond and uh, near Decatur Boulevard. And they said she appeared to be dead. So they made the call to to 911 to ask for officers to respond. Metro ends up coming out to the scene after medical personnel verified that she was dead and found that she'd been um, shot multiple times. And one of the things that they noticed was that she had a class ring on, and it said Buena Vista High School class of 1997. When that ring was later removed at autopsy, there was an inscription inside, and it had a name of Shauna Maynard. At that point, of course, the investigation starts, and they start running records checks, and they realize that she had been reported as a runaway at the uh, Colton Police Department in Colton, California, by her mother, Inez Maynard. And that was December 31st of 1997. Mm-hmm. Somehow she had found her way to the Las Vegas area. Um, And when they contacted the parents, the parents drove to Las Vegas to meet with detectives in the coroner's office. And at 6.30 that evening, they verified that, in fact, that was their daughter, Shauna, that was dead. So when we we think about Shauna's family, they were obviously devastated. What were the circumstances on how Shauna came from her home in California and had made her way to Las Vegas. That was hundreds of miles away. Well, in interviews with her sister, uh, detectives learned that Shauna um, had some home issues, possibly, and that she had been staying with her sister for a little bit of time. And it was New Year's Eve, Shauna wanted to go to a party. Her sister didn't feel it was appropriate for her to attend this party. It wasn't appropriate for a 17-year-old at that time. And it caused a problem. Shauna decided that she was going to leave. Detectives learned from a witness here in the Las Vegas area who knew Shauna that she had traveled here with a different friend and had come to his house and asked if she could stay there. She ended up staying there for a couple of months Uh, There was an issue with his girlfriend, and Shauna moved in with some girls next door to him where she stayed briefly for about a month. And then she ends up moving in with these two females over in North Las Vegas. 
in the interviews with the witness here in Las Vegas and her sister and her mom, it sounds like uh, Shauna was struggling a little bit. She, her biggest accomplishment had been the fact that she started her freshman year at Buena Vista High School. Um, she was behind in credits, and she took an accelerated program. She graduated early. She was working. She, in her sister's words, was a free spirit who had um, a desire to become a fashion uh, designer at some point, go to college. Uh, she was doing well, but for some reason, whether it was her desire not to have the restraints of her family or that there was something here in Las Vegas that she was running to or something from California she was running from, we don't know. But she ended up here, a friend brought her, and she was here for almost four months before she was murdered. So the the evening um, when she was at her apartment with these two females, I think there was several children at this apartment as well. Um, and from what I've read, she was kind of earning her keep. She would watch the kids a little bit. And she was, um, I don't know, like a nanny maybe a little bit, maybe a babysitter, live-in babysitter, for example. Let's talk about the evening of, of what detectives were able to learn and glean from what was going on at that apartment where Shauna was apparently living. So in interviews with the two witnesses, detectives at that time um, learned that they were roommates. And between the two of these uh, females, they had seven small children. And how Shauna meant them is not clear. But um, one of the the roommates said that she could come live with, with her and stay with her so that she wasn't staying on the street. And during that interview, she stated that that night on April 20th, um, a bunch of people had been hanging out in front of her apartment complex uh, near her apartment. And it was a bunch of women and the kids. Uh, Shauna was there. She said that there was not any problems. She didn't recall any arguing, any fighting. She did not have any issue with Shauna. And that um, Shauna had come into the apartment, uh, told her, knocked on her bedroom door around midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and told her that she was leaving for a while. And according to this woman, uh, that was fine. Shauna had privileges to come and go. She had a key to the apartment. She was free to do whatever all she said that she asked of Shauna was her to call her if she wasn't going to come home at all. She said that was the last time that she spoke with Shauna Maynard. In an interview with this, the other roommate, uh, she stated that they were a group of people who were all, which she named several names, were all hanging out in front of their apartment. She denied that there was any arguing or fighting or any issues. She said they dispersed around 11 p.m., she recalled that she went into the apartment. Uh, at that time, she saw Shauna on the phone with an unknown person, and she was seated on the couch. Uh, this woman stated that she went into her bedroom, closed the door. Short time later, she recalled that Shauna knocked on the door asking for a cigarette. She said she went to sleep, and that was the last time that she herself had spoken with Shauna. Now, she did state that she recalled that her roommate told her later on that Shauna had knocked on the door and said that she was leaving, but she said she didn't have any information or knowledge of that. So uh, 
the last she knew that was the conversation about the cigarette. So they weren't very helpful in terms of really revealing what happened to Shauna or where she was going. But I believe there was a, a secondary person that came along that was really helpful. It was a friend, I believe, of, of Shauna's. What was that conversation like and where did she steer the investigation? Well, she was key to this investigation for us at that time because she was a friend of Shauna's. She considered her a friend. They were both younger than the two women that Shauna was staying with. She said on April 20th, she picked up uh, Shauna between 5, 6 p.m. They ran errands, um, went shopping, and had actually even stopped for some dinner. And then she recalled that she had taken Shauna back to the apartment between 7, 8 p.m. that night. At the time that she dropped her off, she said there had been no conversation about any issues that was going on in the apartment or that Shauna was having a problem with anybody. Normally, the two of them spoke on a regular basis, and she knew what was going on in Shauna's life at that point. She stated she did see several people hanging out in front of the apartment that Shauna lived in, and there were kids, which verified the information from the two roommates. Um, but Shauna did not seem afraid when she got out of the vehicle and left her that evening. But the, the big turn in the investigation came when she told us that around 2 o'clock in the morning, she gets a call from Shauna and she's crying. She's scared, says that she's afraid, and that she's having an issue with a roommate. And she wants her to come and pick her up. This witness told us that she had a small baby, she had a job, she was living with her parents. She couldn't just up in the middle of the night, leave and go pick up Shauna. She told her, she, you're going to be okay. You need to run. Go to the Silver Nugget, and I'll call a cab and have them pick you up. That was the last time she spoke with Shauna. So now investigators at the time had some leads in that they knew where Shauna was at a specific period of time. We knew this was maybe hours before her death. What did investigators do after that? Was there <clears throat> canvassing of the area? Was there anything that would help investigators kind of piece together what happened? Sure. As we do in all investigations, especially nowadays with video surveillance, our detectives at that time started canvassing out there on Blue Diamond and Decatur area. And they were looking for anybody that had seen a young girl who had been there during the early morning hours of April 21st. They asked them to check their video surveillance. They um, wanted to know if we had received information from, after, let me back up a little bit. During the investigation, uh, media releases had been done and we received a couple of tips. And one of the tips was that a man and woman were seen near an older model Ford or Chevy pickup with rounded fenders that had been parked alongside uh, Blue Diamond Decatur area around five o'clock in the morning. Another tip that came in was from one of our own Metro officers who stated he was patrolling out in that area around 3, 3.30 in the morning. He heard a series of gunshots coming from what he thought was Rainbow and Decatur. When he went to investigate, he didn't see anything at that time. So when they were canvassing the, for video surveillance or any employees that recalled seeing um, Shauna, they were also asking about this older model, 1950-ish truck. Um, unfortunately, 
there was no surveillance recovered, video surveillance recovered, and no employees remembered seeing the truck or her. So it, it basically was a, a dead end in, in some respects for um, investigators um, at that point. Was there additional information that was developed about a potential like male acquaintance that's, that Shauna either frequented or, or knew? And what path did that take investigators down? There was. Some information came from one of the roommates that Shauna had possibly been involved with a male who she knew to be a pimp and, in her words, was trying to turn Shauna out. But then she stated she wasn't quite sure if that was really true. She had no evidence that Shauna was involved in any type of prostitution or that this male person was indeed trying to um, persuade Shauna to go to work for him uh, in the, in the sex trade, basically. And when we asked the friend um, who was a witness, she stated she had no information about that. She didn't recall ever, Shauna ever talking about it. But she did recall that when she had picked Shauna up, on April 20th, before they went out to dinner, that there had been a male standing near uh, Shauna's apartment with one of her roommates. So with that information, it sounds like things weren't exactly adding up. The story didn't quite make sense. Investigators were still kind of trying to follow up on leads. Shortly thereafter, a search warrant was served at that apartment. What what was the um, the idea behind it or the motivation behind going in and searching that, that property? Well, since I wasn't the originally signed detective, I can only assume, uh, based on the case file that I reviewed, that they decided that they needed to check that apartment and see if the information that was being provided could be corroborated at any point. When they executed the search warrant in May, uh, I think it was May 22nd of 1998, they found nothing of evidentiary value in that apartment to include any of Shauna's personal belongings. Wow. And when they questioned the witnesses, the roommates, um, where's Shauna's stuff? One of the roommates stated, oh, when I went to the closet where she kept her stuff after I saw on the news that she was had been murdered, she said all her stuff was gone. Now, at the scene, we didn't find any of Shauna's personal yeah. belongings, N not even a purse, hmm. no ID, nothing. So detectives at that point were not successful in gaining anything that would generate any new leads in this case. So here we are now, um, 25 years after um, her death, and case is still open. Um, what's What are the pieces of information that you're looking for that you need to bring this case to a close? There's no doubt in my mind that there's people that are still living in the Las Vegas area that know what happened to Shauna Maynard. Is this case... Um, is it related to what we call now uh, child sex trafficking? Is this a 17-year-old who is running from something in California, ends up in Las Vegas, and is somehow living with people who 
a 17-year-old should not be living with, a lifestyle that a 17-year-old should never be involved in. Um, it's very difficult to believe that she would actually choose to be involved in that situation. Why she didn't reach out and reestablish ties with her family, uh, none of us know. We do know that she was traveling back and forth uh, a week before her murder. She was seen in the Nor Nor Norco, California area uh, by friends of the family, according to Shauna's family. They had never spoken to her since New Year's Eve of 1997, so they had no idea what was going on. It's sad to think that she's trying to come here to make a better life for herself. She makes it four months in Las Vegas, and then she's murdered. And she's brutally murdered, and she's left dead on the side of a road. Have you spoken to Shauna's family recently? And um, what's, if so, what's been the, the contact? How are they? How are they doing? In reviewing the case file, I was looking back at some of the uh, newspaper articles that were were um, published at the time. Some interviews with her sister and and with her mom. And I most recently just spoke with her mom uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and. I asked her, I said, can you give me some information about Shauna? And she said, you know, she was this fun-loving 17-year-old girl who was kind of still immature, but who for some reason felt that she needed to get away. And she obviously, and mom knew the fact that she did not have the knowledge to be able to survive alone in what she called the wicked world. And it's true, a 17-year-old, especially in Las Vegas, uh, should never be in this position here in Las Vegas, ever. Um, it's tough. It is tough. It is tough. It, you know, being a mother, I would never, ever want to hear this story. Yeah. With uh, with my kids, I would never want any of my children um, to be subjected to what Shauna was subjected to, whether it's because she moved away on her own as a runaway. There's a reason for that. Yeah. We just don't know it. So with all that being said, we know that somebody out there probably knows something that happened to Shauna and can, you know, put this mom at ease a bit after decades of waiting and wondering and, and wanting justice. Terry, how can somebody come forward if they know and they have information that might be helpful for you and your, your team? What should they do? What's, what's your message to them? Well, we will never get closure in this case. And when we talk about closure with in law enforcement with families, victims, our community, um, even our own police department. We have officers who responded to that scene and saw, you know, that horrific scene, who detectives who worked tirelessly trying to help solve this case, get her identified, find her family, find out why she was here, what happened. Um, the narrative now is, is resolution. Resolution to the fact that Shauna deserves justice her family deserves to know what happened to her the community des deserves to know that and to know that 
our department continues to strive to solve these cases, no matter how old they are, to give our victims uh, of homicide who are unidentified their names back because they deserve that. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do here with, with Shauna is to get some resolution for all those uh, people. And if, if anyone has any information that can help us, steer us in the right direction, uh, they can call Crime Stoppers uh, if they wish to remain anonymous. They can call uh, Metro Homicide. We even have a website, homicide at lvmpd.com. Uh, there's a variety of different ways that they can reach out to us. Um, this information would breathe some new light into this investigation and hopefully steer us in the right direction so that we do get some resolution. Well, let's hope that's what happens in this case. And there's other ones you know, out there as well. But uh, let's hope that someone has the courage to come forward and, and bring this case to uh, justice, like you said, closure, maybe probably never, but resolution, absolutely. Terry, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Metro Police is committed to trying these cold cases by using experienced homicide detectives, modern science advancements, and working with law enforcement partners and organizations such as the Vegas Justice League and NamUs. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Badge and Beyond. If you or anybody you know have any information that could assist in resolving this case, please get in touch with us at the LVMPD Homicide Section at 702-828-3521 via email at homicide at lvmpd.com or remain anonymous by calling Crime Stoppers at 702-385-5555. Stay tuned for more captivating conversations with the men and women who wear the badge with honor. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us to stay updated on upcoming episodes. You won't want to miss any. Thanks for sharing some time with us and thank you for listening.